0: Hello to everyone out there and welcome to another episode of the Green Campus Podcast. I am your host for today, Oliver Cunningham. I am delighted to be joined by the Professor of Nanochemistry in the School of Chemistry, Mr. Justin Holmes. Thanks for coming in today, Justin.
1: You're welcome. Delighted to be here, Oliver. Thanks for the invitation.
0: So we'll start off. uh, Can you tell us about your early career and what your current role in UCC is? Uh,
1: My current role in chemistry at UCC, I'm Professor of nanochemistry in UCC and I work with nanomaterials and I use these materials for various applications uh, including making sensors to detect atmospheric pollution and also for converting heat, waste heat into electricity. So they're they're, they're the kind of couple of the applications I'm I'm involved with.
0: And what type of nanomaterials would you be using?
1: So I, I guess I've used a whole range of nanomaterials in various projects. At the moment we're using semiconductors for making sensors and you can imagine, uh, you know, a semiconductor is in between a metal and an insulator and it gives it the, you know, the, I suppose the, the most common semiconductor silicon that is used in all electronic devices and we're actually using silicon nanowires, so these are materials of very small dimensions to to make sensors to detect pollutants. Oh wow that's amazing
0: and uh, your early career did you work anywhere before UCC where did you go to college? yeah
1: and and I kind of I don't know if you're you're (laughs) particularly interested I mean I never wanted to do chemistry right so I kind of ended up doing chemistry almost by chance and so I started off doing business studies i went i went a lot of people do <laughs> yeah yeah so i went to bus- an, an accountancy and i thought oh this this isn't for me and i came back and i, and I actually got a job doing in a chemistry lab oh, wow. uh, and um it, it actually was in a in a kind of molten's company looking at barley samples nitrogen content in barley samples and um I, I met my old physics teacher and he said actually why don't you do why don't you do physics at University and so I, I thought okay I'll, I'll apply to the local university but actually at the time this in the, this was in the UK when they were closing down departments yes. science departments and they closed down. they were closing down physics so I said well what shall I do then I'll do chemistry and uh, so I, I did chemistry and, and I and I really loved it particularly the kind of materials chemistry and, yeah. and physical chemistry. So I did my degree in, and PhD in the UK, and then I moved to University of Texas oh, wow. in Austin. And Austin was a great place to live. So I was in the chemical engineering department there, again working on the synthesis of, of nanomaterials. And then from there I came to, to Cork. So I guess at the time I was looking to, for a move back to the, the UK, uh, a job, temporary job came up in UCC, and uh, this was, what, nearly 24 years ago. And, you're still I, and here. I'm still here, you know? So, um, but yeah, I, lo- I love being. I love Cork and, uh, and yeah. I love the university. It's a great place to work.
0: How many years were you in Texas? Uh, nearly two years. And did you really like it over there?
1: I did, actually. Austin was a great place to live, you yeah. know? Um, very kind of cosmopolitan, a mix of, of students from, from all over the world. And I learned a lot there, actually. It was a great place to live. The weather was great as well, right?
0: Exactly, that's it. My partner actually works for a multinational and they have headquarters in San Diego and Texas. And she was in Austin. She really liked it over there. It's hot, though, right? Yeah, it's it's very hot. That's it. She was in India as well. That was hotter. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, We'll move on now. So Radical is an EU-funded research project to develop a brand new way of detecting atmospheric radicals in real time. Can you give us an introduction in what the project is about?
1: Yes, so uh, atmospheric radical... Well, I I guess air pollution uh, is a major concern for us all, right? Both outdoor and indoor air pollution. And there are these species, or these, I I guess, uh, I don't know the best word to describe them. They're kind of reactive species that determine... Well, they they have two roles within the atmosphere, right? So radicals such as hydroxyl radicals or nitrate radicals. So they can oxidise or they can clean the atmosphere, Mm. which is a good thing. But at high concentrations, they can uh, also cause pollution. Mm. You know, secondary kind of organic particulate matter and, and, and other types of pollution. So And it's very difficult to detect radicals. So there are a number of i suppose few places in the world that you can detect radicals because you need a lo- you need this kind of large expensive equipment these spectrometers and you know they they can only be located in certain parts of the world they're not mobile they're expensive yeah so what we're trying to do is is generate you know really small devices electrical devices that that can be deployed worldwide for detecting Atmospheric radicals that can be put anywhere can be put anywhere. Yeah, now, of course, that's th- that's a challenge. Yes. Um, you know, and and you know, we've been working on this project for just over two years now, or two and a half years, and, and we're getting good results. Good, um, uh, but. Yeah, I mean, the, the concentration of radicals in the atmosphere, you're talking, you know, parts per billion, parts per trillion, and, and they're very short lifetimes. So actually detecting them is a challenge, it's difficult. But, you know, along the way, we're, I suppose we're discovering a lot. We're able to also develop the platform technology for other pollutants, such as um, nitrogen dioxide, volatile organic compounds, ozone. So we've, we've detected all these species with the platform, and I suppose the ultimate aim is it's to detect these, these radical con-
0: species. What you start off in the project, you're actually finding other ways to use the technology. Exactly. That
1: you're, yeah. yeah, so I, I guess it's the, the low-hanging fruit, right? So yeah. you, 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 you th- detect things at higher concentrations mm. uh, that may be easier to detect, to develop the platform, and then by the end of the project... Com- well, I'm, I'm confident we will have detected
0: radicals. Exactly, from the higher parts per million right down to the... Parts yeah. per billion, billion and b- trillion. The b- b- trillion would be great, but b- parts b- per billion, mm-hmm. definitely. Is a radical where there's a loose
1: electron? It is, yeah, yeah. So, you know, really reactive species because you've got, a, like you said, you've got a loose electron, so it wants to bind to things. Exactly. Doesn't yes. like having loose electrons. So very reactive with surfaces, with other species in, in the atmosphere. And that's why they're so difficult to detect, because they've got such a short lifetime that they react really quickly. Really think. quickly.
0: Are yeah. we talking milliseconds? Or yeah, milliseconds. Yeah, oh, wow, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's basically like you, just, you have a very small time frame to collect, to see it. Exactly. Oh, exactly. wow. And uh, how has the collaboration between the different universities and enterprises assisted the project? Yeah, so
1: there, there are a number of partners on the project, and... Without them, project wouldn't be successful. So yeah. it is f- funded as a part of a EU Horizon 2020 program. So we have a group in Dresden who actually use uh, electron beam lithography to make devices, these silicon devices. Uh, we have a group in Athens who does a lot of the modeling. Okay. in terms of looking at the interaction of radicals with surfaces. A group in York who actually put organic coatings or molecules on the surface of the devices that can, that can trap radicals. And also is a company called SmartCom, who are based in Bulgaria, who do a lot of the modelling of actually how the devices are going to work. And then in Cork we, we take the devices and we test them in, in the atmospheric chambers and you know test them to see if we can detect... Gaseous your species,
0: radicals, yeah. those, that type of thing. That's fantastic. So you're basically project managing out the different parts to yeah, different universities. Yeah. So you're all doing it at the same time to come we to Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we all
1: have our particular role within within the project. Exactly. And, and hopefully at the end, it all come together to a successful outcome, right? Exactly. That's, that's, that's
0: the aim. That's the plan, exactly. And uh, what are the current challenges facing the project and would you have any estimate of when you might have a working prototype Yeah,
1: so I, I guess there's a lot of a lot of challenges every time we go into the lab there seems to be more and more challenges i i the one big challenge is kind of already discussed the low concentration of, of radicals the short lifetime mm. in which you know they exist and so getting down to that sensitivity you know getting yeah. down to that level of sensitivity but also the se- selectivity you know, we want to detect a specific radical, say a hydroxyl radical, rather than say an ozone molecule. So yes. it, it's it's you know making sure that what we're detecting and what we're seeing is what we think we're seeing. Um, and, and you know the whole calibration thing as well. That when we have a region that says we've got parts per billion, that that we actually have are detecting parts per billion.
0: Exactly, parts per like it's the calibration process exactly. must take a long time. I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, years?
1: Uh, well, y- you see, we're lucky in terms of the very good atmospheric chemistry group in yeah. UCC, led by Professor John Wenger. Oh, uh, yeah. They've got these ma- lo- lovely atmospheric simulation chambers, and they've got all of the spectroscopy kit set up. So, actually, calibration is, is relatively easy. So, oh, you can good. compare to you know, it's one of these more traditional techniques, spectroscopic yeah, yeah. techniques for, for calibrating our sensors. So, um, All right. yeah.
0: Which building are they located in?
1: They're in the Cane building. So I- in the basement of, of the cane building. Um, yeah, so it's well worth a visit, you know, if, yeah. if, you, if you get a chance.
0: That's it. And they have the new ULV lab in there as well in the yeah, Cane building. Yeah, that's it. There's, that's a, there's a lot going on in Cain, right? That, that draws a lot of energy, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, one Yeah, room. yeah, yes, yeah. You said just uh, there previously that you've got some interesting results. Can you share any of them with us? Yeah,
1: um, we are able to, I mean the kind of latest results, we are able to detect NO2 down to very low concentrations in the presence of other gases, so this is a kind of stepping stone to get to radicals. We're able to detect ozone only last week down to parts per billion type concentrations with with our devices you know with these these coated functionalized devices so the next step is you know really looking at radicals
0: that's brilliant though that you've got the proof of, proof of concept as you go along yes yeah that's fantastic and uh just it's very topical at the moment because didn't Cork City Council, just released their air pollution report. I think a few days ago, and stuff. They've been doing a monitoring thing for the last two years about the air quality around Cork City. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: They they, they they and actually the um, there's, there's a lot going on in the in, in the council in terms of of air monitoring, and, and, and it's great, right? Exactly, that's it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And what citizens in science invo- involvement of the general public and, and
0: y- that type you're of you are seeing it in the last three or four years. Sustainability really is coming exactly. to the fore in everything. It's beyond time that it's come to yeah, this yeah, stage. Yeah, I agree, totally. But that's it, exactly. That's fantastic project, really interesting. I'll move on. You're also involved in another project called the Translate project. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, so th- this is kind of... Uh, The other thing that I'm interested in is, you know, what do we do with waste heat? There's so much waste heat, Mm. and what I'm talking about is low-temperature waste heat. You know, waste heat that's coming off these computers. Yes. um, You know, general everyday heat, uh, below 100 degrees C. And so what Translate Project is, is looking to do is to convert waste heat into electricity. So the the way that we try the way that we're trying to do that. So if you, we're doing it with wood and with salt, oh, With wow. salt water,
0: salt okay. water. Again. Yeah.
1: So <coughs> so if you take a piece of wood and wood has got you know uh, made of cellulose. Yeah. Okay. So if you if you take the cellulose from wood, and within this cellulose, there's very small channels. Again, nano nano channels. And if you pass Solution of, say, sodium chloride, salt solution through it, you can generate electricity. Wow. And how this works is that, okay, with something like sodium chloride, you have a sodium ion and yeah. a chloride ion. If you can separate those ions within the channel, you're separating charge and you're generating a potential difference, a, a voltage. A voltage, basically, e- Effectively. Yeah, yeah. And from that voltage, we hope to be able to power something okay so we're we're and i guess the how do we drive the that those ions or those um that salt solution through the the wood the channels in the wood when we do it with a temperature gradient Mm -hmm. so one side is hot and one side is cold there's a temperature difference maybe 10 degrees and this drives the solution the salt solution through the pores in the wood and this is where you generate what is a thermal voltage, a voltage generated through a temperature
0: gradient. That is fascinating. Like, I know we have heat recovery around campus. You look at your server rooms, detect the heat that's generated by the servers, redirect it to other places, but this is actually going to generate electricity. It generates a voltage, right? Now, it's not going to be yeah. massive. No, that's no, yeah, it. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Once you actually discover that, is there scale to upscale it?
1: Potentially, I, I see it as a kind of complementary technology to uh, to other things that are out there so photovoltaic solar cells yeah. those type of things that can that can kind of
0: so it, it might not be hugely transformative but it will actually generate electricity that can be used say by a campus with all the equipment that they have there so it can add to reduce their energy use Exactly. Basically. exactly
1: yeah. I mean Doing anything with low temperature heat is very difficult, right? Yeah. It's, it's, but you could imagine having several of these units, right, wood-based panels yeah. that could just give you a steady trickle of uh, current and maybe stored in a, in a battery, battery or somewhere, something like that over time. So that can be done wherever you've got a kind of small temperature gradient. And, and maybe it takes a little bit of time to charge a battery but yeah. it's free right it's free, that, that's free the thing, energy like,
0: exactly like and with the advances in technology with batteries over the last few years as well they'll be able to store and store for longer exactly that that's that could be a game changer because you'd be lo- looking at they could be even you could store up the batteries to do backup generators stuff like that like
1: yeah. i mean even you you could imagine one day Having a wooden table,
0: putting your phone on there and it charges. That's, I was just going to say, that, <coughs> is, that would be fantastic. That's and kind
1: of science fiction, right? But no. But, uh, but,
0: uh, but uh, what's <laughs> science fiction now won't be in 20 yeah, years, exactly, yeah? Exactly. And w- when you were looking at materials, was wood the best you found?
1: Yes, so um, wood is fantastic in terms of, you know, so abundant, natural. Uh, It gives us all of the properties in terms of the the size of the channels running through the wood to give you the optimum kind of thermal voltages. Now, we are looking at other kind of more, other types of membranes, so aluminium oxide and various other types of material, but wood is so so, so you, it's so flexible in what you can do with it exactly right. and it's so readily available exactly.
0: and you don't have to process it exactly that's it. are you working with other partners on this project yeah
1: so again this is another eu funded project so we have a number of partners so there's a, a group in tu darmstadt and and actually they're the th- the theory group so they tell us you know well you need to have nanochannels of three nanometers in diameter you need to you know have a optimize the length say 10 microns so they they kind of we use the uh, theoretical data in order to optimize our our experiments we have a group in well we have two partners from from the Tyndall Institute one group is uh, our experts in measuring kind of thermoelectric properties and materials and another group in terms of experts in making devices, electronic devices. We have a group in Riga and uh, they are kind of battery experts and with battery electrodes so the idea is you know try and store the energy within yeah. batteries and battery electrodes and we have an SME in, in Spain uh, who are also working to do some of the characterization of, of the materials.
0: With 70% of all the energy produced from sources such as power generators, factories and homes being lost in the form of heat, could this new technology transform the way we think about energy and go towards helping us achieve our 2030 and 2050 targets?
1: Yeah, so I kind of touched on that. I think this will be part of a big package. I mean, you know, the importance of wind energy, solar energy, photovoltaics. uh, I think this is another... It's an add-on. Add-on. Technology that that we could use. Uh, I mean, what I'd like about it is it's 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 a free energy. It's taking waste heat and getting something out of it. Okay, it may not be the most efficient, but
0: you know, it's still uh, energy.
1: It's still energy, right? And and it's taking energy and actually turning it into electricity that we can use. So I I think it will complement all of these other technologies.
0: As you said, with the phone on the table. If you had a thousand people coming into the office in 20 yeah, years' time yeah. and none of them plugged in a charger, they put it on the yoke. Yeah. That's so much pressure off the grid then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes when I get people on who work in energy or anthem related, I always ask them, the 2030 and 2050 targets, do you think they're easily achievable or they're very hard to achieve?
1: I, I, don't, th- I don't think it will be easy, um, but I do think that it's possible. I think I think people need to kind of cop on, really. Y- you know, in terms of where we are, I- in terms of what's happening to the cl- to climate, you know, I think people are becoming more and more aware of it. I think that it is possible, I think, to achieve our targets. You know, and there's a lot of scientists and a lot mm. of other people working towards achieving these targets. Exactly. So yeah. I, I'm going to remain positive. I'm going to say yes.
0: The way I look at it, over the last two or three years, you're actually going to, s- you're seeing more government buy-in. Yeah. The tools are there. Yeah. to get us to where we need to go it just needs buy-in from governments yeah. on the high level exactly. if we get that buy-in as you said the scientists and everyone ready to do it yeah so hopefully we get that over the next I few hope years so.
1: uh, well, i'm sure we will
0: so we'll end on a question that we ask everyone what's your favorite place on campus so
1: I, I i love the ucc campus i uh, you know it, it's a fantastic place to work a beautiful yeah. campus but of course my favourite place has to be the Kane Building. Right? Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone I says the lower grounds. It's yeah, great yeah, when yeah. we get a different answer. I, I don't know, it's probably voted what the, the most ugliest building in Ireland or the second most ugliest building 1970s in. Nineteen
0: seventies Communist Russia yeah, is what I hear yeah. about it.
1: Uh, but it uh, you know, for me it's been home for nearly twenty four years, it, exactly, right? Yeah.
0: And it was just announced about the That's right. The new the facelift. New so facelift, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, so that'll be great. Yeah, I think they're on about uh, Doing it all with glasses, glass around the whole building to trap in the heat and stuff. Yeah, yeah.
1: So it, it'll be a great, it'll be a great opportunity for, well, for for staff, for great for students. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, new labs. Um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be it'll be fantastic. And um, for me, look, it's where I've done all, most all yeah. of my science. And, um, I've got some great memories there. Some great research going on not just in my group but within other groups within exactly. the cane building so yeah it's i would say that's my favorite place excellent and long may it continue yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well thanks a million for coming in today justin no problem oliver it was that was great to talk to you really interesting and that was it for today's green campus podcast if you want to get in contact with us you can email green greencampus at green at ucc.ie or you can go on the green campus website thank you